Hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, media host, prominent Democratic activist, according to the AJC, and an over-tweeter after the past couple of hours. And I am Jen Jordan, and I am almost out of session. (laughs) Well... Let's break it down, Jen. Everybody has questions. I, right now, I'm pretending to be the voice of the people because people are really asking about SB 202, the restrictive voting rights now signed into law by Governor Kemp, which has restricted uh, a lot of restrictions. So we have a lot of questions. Can you take us through what that was like when you were debating this bill? Yeah, I think that the biggest issue with respect to 202 was, and and just to kind of step back a little bit and give people some perspective, because I think you need to understand the process to understand exactly why it was so screwed up. So 202 was originally a Senate bill that was two pages long, and it dealt with processing in some way of ballots or something. It was a very kind of innocuous process bill, right? Two pages. That's it. That's how it came out of the Senate. It goes over to the House and Barry Fleming, who's the chair of this election integrity committee. Yeah. Stripped it. That's the that's the formal word for it. Stripped the bill and basically put a hundred pages, close to a hundred pages on it that were all new provisions, okay? And nobody even really knew what the final version was going to be until it got to the House floor. You know, they're voting on 95 pages of a bill that really has not been vetted appropriately and definitely not vetted in that form. And it gets passed out, and it immediately comes over to the Senate. Now, when it's a Senate bill that's already passed, right, If the House makes any changes and amends it, then it comes back to our chamber and either we can agree with the changes or we can disagree with the changes. If we disagree, then a conference committee is appointed. Okay, and then that those members from the House and the Senate get together and try to come up with kind of a compromise. Right. Everybody expected that to happen with 202 because it's 95 pages. And I don't even think, I'm going to say probably 99.9% of the Republicans in that chamber had not reviewed and or read that bill. And you read it. Yes, I read it. It came back, right? And they make a motion just to agree. And obviously all hell breaks loose because it's like, are you kidding me? You don't even know what you're voting on. And... It basically would just shut the whole thing down at that point and go immediately to the governor. And he signed that sucker within an hour of it passing out of the Senate. Do you think he actually read the bill? No. Do you think most of the people in the Georgia Senate read the bill? No, it would it would almost be virtually impossible. I mean, From the time it passed the House to the time it was on the floor of the Senate, I don't even think there is is enough time to read 95 pages, right? How how did you read it so fast? So the deal is the version that went to House rules had come out the the day before. And so I got it. I got the, the committee sub that had showed up finally. 
and printed it out. And I literally spent an entire day going through and redlining and trying to figure out exactly what the bill did. What did you do with Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan? So for those that of you who think of, of everybody thinks that like Lieutenant Governor, right? They, they think it's like the vice president of Georgia and it's not. The lieutenant governor's really only role or job is to preside over the Senate. So he is the person who is up there. He calls the bills. He counts the votes. All, you know, a presiding officer. That's what he is. As part of that, though, it's his job to kind of rule on they're like objections in court. They're called, They're basically parliamentary procedural things in the chamber. We call them points of order or parliamentary inquiries in the chamber. And he has to rule whether or not up or down, right? So what I did is I objected to the bill on the grounds that it violated our rules because our rules, the Senate rules require that if a bill is going to impact the state of Georgia fiscally from a fiscal perspective, it's going to cost us money, you know, cost the state money, cost locals money, whatever, that it has to have a fiscal note associated with that. And that comes from the Department of Audits and they tell us how much it's going to cost. What, you know, so long story short, you're not even supposed to be able to hear a bill on the floor if it doesn't have a fiscal note and it's going to impact the budget. I object on those grounds because it doesn't have a fiscal note, we know it's going to cost people millions of dollars. And then also there's this... this, And this nobody is, had thought of that. Well, people had thought of it, but the deal is you just... Look, you got to do what you got to do, right. right? So you found this one gray area. You were able to right. bring and that... Right, people have yeah. been talking. Look, everybody knew there was a problem about the fiscal note. But then also with 202 in particular there were a couple of provisions that had just been stuck in there that I hadn't seen before, one of which was the governor basically doing a grab, a power grab, really, to take over the appointment for certain judges in certain counties. I was like, that didn't have anything to do with elections, right? And then there was another portion that had to do with the census and reapportionment um, and municipal elections. And that, that doesn't have anything to do with election administration, right? Under the Constitution, a bill can't have two different subject matters because it's kind of this due process thing. People need to know exactly what you're doing when you pass pass a law. And so that is a violation of our rules too. Long story short, and that is so arcane and stuff, long story short, the lieutenant governor had the power He had the power to stop that bill from being heard yesterday if he would have ruled in my favor on the fiscal note or even um, the other things, the other points. And he chose not to. And here's what I want to say about that. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan has been doing the media apology tour, basically saying the big lie is the big lie. And we had a free and fair election and sort of taking the side of the secretary of state, Raffensperger. And so this seemed really odd to me that he got a lot of flack for sort of being on the right side of history because there was no fraud in the election or there's been no apparent fraud. And he went on all the Sunday shows talking about that. And 
suddenly he, he flipped. Uh, Republicans don't need election reform to win. We need leadership. I think there's millions of Republicans waking up around the country that are realizing that Donald Trump's divisive tone and strategy is, is unwinnable uh, in, in, in forward-looking elections. We need real leadership. We need new, new focus, a GOP 2.0 that includes moderates in the middle uh, to get us to the next election. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very sensitive to that. And, and I'm one of those Republicans that, that want more people to vote. I think our ideas help people. I think an overwhelming number of Americans think that Republicans are the best to be in charge of our economy, to be in charge of keeping our communities safe, in charge of keeping our nation safe. And so with that, I hope more people vote, but we've got to have leadership in place that talks to real people and solves real problems. Well, he finally had the opportunity to act and do something, right? And he chose he chose not to. So it was one of those things where there was a lot of talky-talky, <laughs> you know, a lot of going on CNN, a lot of all that in terms of he thought it was wrong, this, that, and the other. And he was given an opportunity to do the right thing because those were proper. Let me say, those were proper objections, and they should have stopped the bill. I'm not saying that just because he liked the bill or didn't like the bill, he should have ruled a certain way. But these were appropriate objections that should I should have had a ruling in my favor and it should have stopped the bill. He had the opportunity to do it. He chose not to. So so all this talk, you know, was really just talk. So now here we are. What are some of the you mentioned some of the judge appointments and you mentioned, you know, the governor having power and things. Let's talk about some of the things that that are real red flags in this bill that people are very upset about. And some of those things are the drop boxes, the giving more power to the governor's office when it comes to state elections boards. And uh, I've been hearing a lot about not being able to give people uh, food or water and lines, stuff like that. So uh, those seem to be the some of the bigger things that people are talking about. Well, those are the things that they're familiar with, right? right? Because they used drop boxes. Right. Governor Kemp used a drop box. He didn't, right? I mean, and the whole idea of not being able to give water to people standing in line for hours to vote, it just seems callous, mean. I mean, these aren't people that are campaigning. They're not wearing anything that says vote for somebody or anything. It basically is they just want people to vote and they want people to stay in line. And it's hot or it's cold and people don't have food and they've been there for hours. And and these people were really there just to kind of make sure that people had water if they needed it. Because the whole idea is people needed to stay in line to vote. We didn't want people just to just to leave. And so those kind of things are the things that people understand. And so they've gotten a lot of, you know, that's what's been talked about. But probably the thing that is is actually the worst has to do with the the takeover of local elections boards and also really the takeover of the state election board and taking it away from the Secretary of State. So currently the Secretary of State is the chair of that board, right, and is a voting member. They basically removed him or her as chair and he or she doesn't even have a vote anymore on the board. Now the board will be controlled by members appointed by, guess who? The General Assembly. And guess who controls the General Assembly? The Georgia GOP. Why is that important? 
because all of that has to do with election certification, setting up times when people can vote, all the things that actually will impact whether or not certain votes are accepted or not. And as we know, there was only 11,000 votes that Trump said he needed, and they're trying to deliver it to him this time. I got to say, Jen, you saying all this sort of makes me a little sick to my stomach thinking of this because it, 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 it's 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 just it's all of this proposed legislation based on a big lie, which is with the lame duck president who is is sending out press releases from his luxury resort in Florida. It's just mind boggling. Lots to get to. First, let's talk about the lawsuits, even though the governor signed the bill. Uh, to, I think a lawsuit was almost immediately filed after he signed it. Right. So the, so this this happens. There's obviously great fanfare with the signing of this bill into law because they press released it immediately. We're going to sign this bill tonight. And then you have some controversy at the Capitol. Representative Park Cannon, who uh, knocks on the door. Someone's knocking at the door. (laughs) Let's listen. Why does she have to step back? The governor is signing a bill that affects all Georgians. Why is he doing it in private? And why is he trying to keep elected officials who are representing us out exactly. of the process? Exactly. I know you don't have any control over anything other than suppressing people's right to vote and using your guns and your ability to talk. To talk yeah, to you said you give her one more time like you're going to do something. Are you serious? No, you are not. Represent- no. She's not under arrest. What for what? Under arrest for what? For trying to see something that our governor is doing? Our governor is signing a bill that affects all Georgians, and you're going to arrest an elected representative. Yeah. You know, it looked like the governor and the Republicans were going to try to do a victory lap and basically arresting Representative Cannon and charging her with felonies, I think that that's really the story that came out of that. Sure. So you have all these white men. You have a group of white men and Governor Kemp. At least they're wearing masks. You know, got that going for us. (laughs) And, And he's signing it. And outside the door, you know, you just heard it. And um, those are some pretty compelling f- pictures of uh, Representative Cannon being arrested and hauled out. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that this entire session, Kemp has made like a really big deal of signing bills in public, a lot of fanfare, a lot of people. So this isn't even like a COVID pandemic. We don't want a lot of people around. Very, very public about almost every bill he signed so far. And then he's going to go behind closed doors for this one and doesn't want anybody to even be able to come in and see what's going on. I don't think it was unreasonable that she, as an elected official, wanted to be present for the bill signing. And she definitely shouldn't have been dragged away by the police. Well, that certainly made a lot of news and continues to. I want to ask a couple of questions about this because first, the lawsuits. So do you think that this could the lawsuits are going to be the, over the next couple of months, correct? Uh, so this could be overturned. Uh, look, I think lawsuits take a long time. 
I mean, there is a lawsuit that was filed in 2018 dealing with those elections that are still pending, right? So I think that we're just going to have to see. I mean, I haven't read the complaint yet. Okay. And so I'm not exactly sure what the grounds are. Okay. But I can tell you this. I know those lawyers have read the bill, even if nobody else did. <laughs> okay. So let's get a, a question here. This is from Fize Earl. Will this put pressure on corporations, conventions, uh, Major League Baseball, movie productions? Uh, how do you think corporate is going to be getting involved in this? Well, I think part of the problem is, is that corporate really didn't get involved the way they should have. It was, it was pretty lukewarm in terms of the pressure. Kind of at the end, they issued some press releases and said they were against voter suppression. But the reality is that as an elected official, and the public knows this, too, that if these corporations were really weighing in, I think I think it would have been really hard to get this thing over the line. Is it too late now? I think it is. I mean, it's been signed into law. I mean, we're not even there's not even a period of time. And maybe that's why Kemp wanted to go ahead and sign it, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. there's not even a period of time for the corporations to put any pressure on him to veto it. OK, so we know about the lawsuits and this one is from Carl Kukuza, and he's sort of on the side of this bill that turned into law. How about more strictly regulate voting to protect the rights of legal voters? Why do you have such little faith in your voters' abilities to follow the same rules as everybody else? Look, this is about putting obstacles in the way of people that make it harder to vote. Technicalities, right? You don't fill out the application fully. Doesn't matter if you filled out the stuff that's necessary. They can yank your vote, right? Maybe you don't sign it, right? Has nothing to do with whether or not you are who you are or whether you are a lawful voter. They can pull it, right? And so that's just it. It's like it's this little stuff I mean, the drop box thing, you know, I think in Fulton County, we had 37 plus drop boxes. This will now bring it down to seven or eight. And and those drop boxes have to be physically inside advanced voting locations. Okay, and can only be accessed during the period of time when advanced voting is happening. So basically business hours. The whole point of the drop boxes were for people to be able to access them, you know, after work. And so really, it just kind of flies in the face of of why you're doing a drop box anyway. I mean, if I can go walk into an advanced voting place during advanced voting hours to put it in a drop box, I can probably cast an advanced vote. So could you argue that the other side of that is in 2022, we're not going to be at a pandemic, hopefully, thank God, please, no, no, where, you know, we're not going to have as much need for those drop boxes anymore. Yeah, but the deal is now that, look, the way voting behavior works generally is once people discover something that makes things easier, they're going to do it. So folks that maybe voted via absentee that had never voted before and figured out, well, hot damn. This, this is easy. Or, wow, I actually have time to go over the ballot, do some research, figure out who I want to vote for. Those kind of things. Or maybe they don't trust the machines. Whatever it is. I think we're going to see a lot of people who voted absentee last time for the first time continue to vote absentee. And so 
and we've already purchased the drop boxes. So why wouldn't you just have them out there if it makes things easier for people? And they're a lot more secure even than the U.S. mail. I ask this, I feel like, every week to you, and that is, what can we do now? Does this make the movement of the grassroots voting organizations that were so powerful in the 2020 runoffs with Warnock and Ossoff and, of course, the 2020 presidential election? Does this make the movement stronger? Is this bigger hurdles and challenges? Like, what's what's next? I think the thing is, you just got to shine the light on it, right? And I think we need to to really kind of dig down deep in this bill and do a lot of voter education because the whole point is they want to throw, like I said, a technicality. They want to throw something at a voter, right, to kind of trip them up so maybe that the vote doesn't get counted. So we need to make sure that voters have all the information that they need so that they can cast their lawful vote, because that's what this is about. I mean, they talk about unlawful voters, whatever, whatever. That's not what this is about. This is about people who are lawfully registered to vote, who are trying to exercise their constitutional right and are kind of being kept from doing that by these weird little rules that the Republicans have put in place just so that they can win an election. Should we be worried now if the Secretary of State's office has less responsibility and these Republicans are in charge of that? Are yes. they are they they're going to be able to say, you know what? Sorry, I know you won, but oops, we don't like that result. Look, I think they're going to At the end of the day, a lot of this is about the bigger metro Atlanta counties. They have made no secret that a lot of these things going after these election boards and being able to basically disband them if they want and take over kind of the elections process, it's all aimed at the large metro counties, including Fulton, DeKalb, Gwinnett, and and maybe even Cobb, because those are where the largest concentration of Democratic voters are and the largest concentration of voters from marginalized communities and people of color. So would you agree when they call this, or Stacey Abrams called it, Jim Crow in a suit and tie? Would you agree with that? I don't even know if it's in a suit and tie. I mean, it looks like it may be uh, jean shorts right now. It's in shorts. It's in shorts. I mean, I don't think you can even dress this baby up. Okay. I know we've talked a long time on this, and I, I, I think we're going to have to keep talking about it. I mean, hell, this is the Vote Her podcast. And, you know, I remember when the elections were over, Jen and I talked privately like, well, you know, there's not going to be voting. What are we going to be talking about? And never in a million years did I dream that Georgia would still be on the national radar in the crazy way it still is. And this is not dying down. No. And what's so crazy about the way this was done and the lack of transparency and the overreach and really just producing a bad bill that people can really pick at and say, what are you thinking? That just plays into the messaging of Stacey Abrams when she's running for governor. I mean, she's basically been calling Governor Kemp the suppressor in chief for years. And then what does he do? Like, He basically signs this bill with the whole intent of of suppressing the vote in terms of lawful voters. Because at the end of the day, this applies to everybody, right? So a technicality to throw out a Democratic vote can be a technicality to throw out a Republican vote, too. And all voters need to be concerned about that. 
Well, I think everybody's got to exercise their right to vote and to continue to be active and to continue to keep your eye on the ball, because obviously there's going to be a lot more happening. And we're going to keep our eyes on these lawsuits. I mean, not only this, uh, what is it Mark Elias? Is that his name? It is. And he does something called the Democracy Docket. I think it's democracydocket.org. It's a great resource, especially if you like to read legal pleadings like I do. No, thank you. You read it and then give me the head. So what's great is is that they, he uploads all of the pleadings or the relevant things Mm -hmm. that are really popping in terms of lawsuits, popping in terms of lawsuits, right? That's, you know, Jay loves being a lawyer. (laughs) Democracydocket.org. That's what we do on Friday nights. So check it out though. It's really, it's really cool. So he now is everywhere is going to sue Georgia and a lot of the other states that are doing the same thing. And this is just so interesting to me that with all of this happening in the middle of of this fracas, uh, you've got uh, Trump in a lawsuit here in Georgia for trying to cook the books with the Georgia Secretary of State. I mean, all of this, and even where where Kemp literally getting beat down, it did the opposite with this bill with what he did, you know, against former President Trump. It's it's crazy town. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of this is really to curry the favor of Trump. I mean, Trump has made no bones that he's coming after Raffensperger, he's coming after Kemp. He hasn't really said much about Duncan, but I'm sure he's he's on his, his short list in terms of Georgia. And this bill is intended to kind of say, you know, here you go. Look, <laughs> we're delivering something for you. And I just don't think, I don't think he's going to care. And also, how effective is Trump? This is, I've been saying this all along and I've been tweeting about it. They've been saying that he's going to come up with his own social media platform. Uh, Yeah, good luck with that. Which really makes me laugh because there's a great column that Kara Swisher wrote in the New York Times about like, if you want to start your own media platform, you actually have to pay people. You actually have to have employees. You actually have to have people on both sides of the aisle. So you've got to have a Matt Gates and an AOC you know, to make something compelling. You can't just have an echo chamber. But the biggest thing is, and how Silicon Valley is so corrupt. But on top of all of this, Jen, the thing that just really gets me, we are in the golden age of video technology. Zoom is better than ever. Everybody's on it. And then when you're wealthy and have money and a good background, which we've learned from watching Senator Kelly Leffler, like, remember how she always looked fabulous? She had a great camera connection, an American flag. So if you have money, you can have an incredible setup to do media interviews from your home. And the former president is on the phone, like the ninth caller on a radio station. I'm like, what? What? And it's not even very good quality over the phone, right? So that tells me I don't know that he wants to do the work and sending out a presidential press release. I don't know that it has the impact. So do you, to just wrap this all up, is this a gamble for the Republicans or will it be worth it? Look, they're scared. They're running scared. Every Republican under the gold dome right now is scared that they are going to get primaried. They think that, I mean, they could not have suppressed the vote enough. I mean, a lot of them are worried that this absolutely doesn't go far enough. And they think that they're going to be primaried because of that, right? That is their main concern, is just keeping their seats 
in keeping their seats from having another Republican get it. It's not the Democrats. So that should be concerning for everybody because whenever anyone is making decisions like that based on just kind of saving their own behind, it can't be good for the rest of us. Well, we're going to have to watch and see. I think we should wrap up this with uh, some fun news. We always like to wrap up our podcast with some fun news. And one of my favorite stories recently was, of course, the vaccine. Let's talk about vaccines. I got mine at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Jen, as we talked about last podcast, got hers at Kroger. I had an incredible experience there. And, you know, I don't want to give the governor a lot of credit. I don't know if he deserves credit for opening it up to all Georgians. Well, he did open it up to all Georgians, but part of it is because a lot of people outside of Metro Atlanta are not getting vaccinated. In fact, a friend of mine, I don't think she was joking, but she texted with me. She's down in South Georgia and said that people aren't getting it down there because they think that the government is putting a tracker in you. And like I said, I don't I don't think she was kidding. I would like to tell those people who think that, do you have a cell phone? If the answer is yes, you have a tracker on you already. Yeah, but that doesn't fit into the whole, you know, <laughs> like hoax, kind right. of Venezuela, right. something, something, Dominion right. vote. Right. right. Well, they announced today that Dominion is suing Fox News for billions. Sidney Powell, billion. My pillow guy, billion. Well, what's crazy is Powell's defense, which is she comes back and says, Well, I can't be sued for defamation because no reasonable, rational person would have ever thought I was telling the truth. And here we are on the heels of this bill that is literally based on all the foolery she was pushing. But I'm waiting for my second vaccine. I did find I feel I feel very liberated. If you haven't gotten yours, I would highly recommend go getting it. Mercedes Benz was a great experience. It was very emotional. As you mentioned, it was emotional being there because I am so used to being there for a sporting event or a concert. And then here I was at a mass vaccination site. So it was like dystopian in a weird way, but also amazing. Um, Like I cried after it. No, I was so at my Kroger experience, which was great, by the way, but I didn't know you had to like check in. So I was like standing there for like half an hour and passed. And then it was like five, 10 minutes past my time. I'm not saying anything. Don't want to be rude. And I'm so excited. And oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then this other guy walks up to the counter and is like, I'm here to get my vaccine. They're like, OK, I need to check you in. And I'm like, you got to check in. <laughs> And then I was like, I like almost started to hyperventilate. Like, I was like, did I miss my time? What am I going to do? And I started crying. And then, but it was all okay. But it just, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, I don't think we've realized how much kind of emotional, the emotional monkey on our back that we've had. For sure. So I can't wait to get my second one. Me um, either. And then, you know, so we can have you over for a dinner party. So that's, and then we'll talk about that later. But the other thing that's the funny part, and of course, you know, social media, just like ridiculousness. And it's a chance to promote my new podcast coming out called Sounds Delicious, uh, which will be debuting in mid-April. I'll tell you more about that later, but it's how food and pop culture uh, intersect. And this story was so great. You had... Krispy Kreme coming out saying, show us your vaccination card and we'll give you a free donut. Now, my uh, and I don't even like donuts. It's donuts are not my thing. 
But I thought this was brilliant. I thought like it was just an awesome PR stunt. It's just a feel good thing, right? Right. And who doesn't love a hot glaze? I mean, look, when it comes out of the oven, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, whatever. But like all of these people were dunking on it. Like everybody's fat. How are you encouraging people to be obese? People need to take a little bit of a chill pill. I mean, we've all been cooped up for a year. It's not the donut that's going to put us over the over the edge when it comes to BMI. I mean, I think we're already there. But right, that's how I got my shot I know, early. But I was just like, come <laughs> on, this is people. People just need to to pipe down a little. Okay, bit. and while corporate organizations are getting more involved in political activism or just social causes, like obviously getting a vaccination, which is a, a health crisis, do you think that's a potential opportunity? We talked about corporations getting involved, and back to the voting for one more point. Do you think organizations now like a Coke, like a Home Depot, can they step it up with their voting and say, you know what, we're going to do more to let you vote early or to hold it at our place? Yeah, I mean, that's what they need to do, because the people that this really impacts are are people who work because, you know, trying to kind of pull the hours in or limit the days or, you know, just all this little, these little kind of things, it's kind of death by a thousand paper cuts kind of thing. They need to make sure that the policies that they have in place, if they weren't going to stop this puppy, then they need to make sure that the policies that they have in place can make sure that their workers can vote. Right. So, uh, or it can be like, show that you voted, get a donut, because I think a donut people are motivated by a donut. Yeah, maybe we can think about the various things we could get if we vote. (laughs) Can you submit that to us? You can tweet it to at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis. Like, what should companies do to get you to vote? Because I do think that that, that could, you've got to, you've got to give people a cookie. Or Or a donut. Or something else. (laughs) Or someone actually that's going to fight for your rights and be a good elected official. You could do that, too. I mean, you know. (laughs) All right. Anything you want to announce here today? Nope. Okay. Thanks, Christina Loringer, so much for editing and producing every week and for hurrying up and getting this out for us. Thanks, Terminus Records, for our music. Thanks so much to Terry White for our great logo. And thanks to you at Vote Her Podcast. You know what? At gmail.com. We didn't get to it, but some of you wrote amazing reviews on Apple Podcasts and gave us ratings and reviews, and that really goes a long way. I'm going to hit you back next week. We had so much to get to this week, so go ahead and uh, keep that up. Share it with your friends, because when you review us, it helps other listeners understand what our podcast is about. So thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. 